If you have a Bible, grab it, and we're going to go to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you do not have a Bible, uh, there's a table with a red tablecloth back there that has some Bibles on it. Um, I'm sure that uh, Joel would be happy to, to hand you one if you need one, or John's up back there. If you, if you need a Bible, feel free to just raise your hand. John, Joe needs one up front here, and uh, we got some over here. So... Grab your Bible. We're going to go to the book of 1 Corinthians. It's going to be in the last quarter of, of, of your Bible, the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then the book of 1 Corinthians. And when you hit that, we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As you get there, let's, let's imagine something together. Let's imagine that someone calls your cell phone in the next 15 minutes. And you obviously have your phone silenced because you're in church. Um, and it, you let it go to voicemail. Um, someone reaching for their phone to silence it. I thought I saw a big mic reaching. <laughs> so they, they call your phone and, they, and they get, they're going to leave you a voicemail. And they leave this, this message. And, and you wait until after the service. And, um, and you, you pick up your phone and you check your voicemail. And it's, maybe it's a friend or a relative. And the voicemail simply says... Please call me right away. It's a matter of life and death. Have you ever had a call like that? As a pastor, I've had a couple calls similar to that. Please call me now. It's a matter of life and death. If, if, if you're any normal person, you're probably going to call that person back as soon as possible. Because if someone says that this is a, a matter of life and death, that kind of raises it to its most serious level, right? We're going to need to deal with this situation. It's a matter of life and death. You know, Easter Sunday is a wonderful day. We just had a, a great breakfast. Some of you have plans maybe for uh, an Easter lunch that you're going to enjoy. Maybe you're going to have an Easter egg hunt in your yard. It's a beautiful day for that. The sun is shining. We're here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus but as this day is, is full of joy, let's, let's also not forget something, that, that Easter is actually a matter of life and death. This is, this is serious stuff. It's a joyous time, but it's, it's a weighty time. And the, the truth or the falsehood of the resurrection has massive effects for everyone in this room and for everyone in the world. It's a matter of life and death. I think some of us who call ourselves Christians, we, we sometimes, and I'm, I'm in this group too, we fail to realize the importance of the resurrection. That it's not just about one day every year, but that it, it, it's massively important for our lives every single day. And so I pray that as we think about the resurrection, we might see that. And, and some of you are in that category, you're a Christian, but um, maybe some of you, you don't believe this whole thing. It, Someone rising from the dead, I, I just don't believe it. Or maybe, maybe you're fine if other people want to believe that, and you think, well, maybe it could have happened, but you think, who cares? I mean, what does that have to do with me and my life right now? My prayer is that God would open your eyes to see that the resurrection of Jesus is a matter of life and death, not just for people that believe it, but for you as well. And for all those that you love. So I want us to, to feel the weight of Easter. I want us to feel the joy of it, but also how deep this truth affects us. 
And so I'm going to ask you, even after you just ate a big heavy breakfast, to really engage your minds. We're going to look at Paul, and Paul can get pretty thick sometimes. He wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, and so I just want you to really have your your Bible open. We're not going to stray from this passage, so if you're in 1 Corinthians 15, don't worry, you're not going to have to flip anywhere else. And let's really focus in and see what these verses have to say. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians was a letter that was written to a church in the ancient city of Corinth. Um, This letter, along with a lot of letters of the New Testament, were written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Paul was what you would call a missionary. He went all throughout this region telling people the good news about who Jesus was and and starting churches. And so these churches would start and then Paul would would seek to help them to deal with different difficulties or or problems that they might have. And he would try to instruct them. He knew and he loved the members of these churches. And so he's written this letter and it's, it's got 16 chapters. And so we're coming here at the end. And here in this last chapter, chapter, he's going to talk about the resurrection. Joel read some verses for us earlier. He read some verses for us at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. And in those verses, Paul talks about some things that that are at the core of the message of Christianity. Paul says they're of first importance. So these are of first importance in what we believe as Christians. Things like that Christ died for our sins. He says that he was buried that he rose again the third day. That, that the resurrected Jesus then appeared to his disciples. And then he appeared to a group of 500 people. Now that's not meaning he appeared to 500 different individuals, but rather a group of 500 people at once that Jesus appeared to. And then that he appeared to Paul in this unique way, even after his ascension. And he sends Paul out as, as an apostle, as someone who's going to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the end of the world ends of the earth. And, and so having laid this, this foundation of the, the core understanding of what Christianity is, Paul then brings up an issue in the church. There, there was a false teaching that was spreading. Look at it in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So there's a question here. Some people are saying that there is no resurrection from the dead. There was this teaching going around in the church that that there was no resurrection from the dead. And and it may be something where the people were fine to accept that Jesus rose from the dead, but they said no one else is going to. That there is no resurrection from the dead. That when we die, that this is all that there is. It's speaking of of a future resurrection. So all of us are still alive, yet all of us will one day die. And what this, this false teaching is saying is that that's it. That once you die, there is nothing else. When we die, we will, we will cease to exist. There is no hope of a future life. Again, they may be okay with Jesus rising from the dead, but they deny that any human being outside of him, and maybe even him, could be raised from the dead. Now Paul says that's not possible. That's the next verse, verse 13. Paul says, but if there's no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. So Paul's saying, if, if no one is going to rise, then neither did Jesus. It's like two sides of the same coin. You gotta have, if you have the coin, you've got to have both sides. So either Jesus is raised from the dead, and everyone else is going to rise from the dead in a future resurrection, or Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and neither is anyone else. You've got to have both or none. 
And so then he says that he talks about what, what this means. If, if this is true, if of the people that deny the resurrection, and that's verse 14, and this is a key verse. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, if Jesus hasn't come back from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. When I was a kid, I... I can remember going on vacation with my family. And whenever we'd go on vacation, we'd go to the grocery store first. We'd all go together. We, we never did that at home, but everyone wanted to go to some new grocery store. It was like the food lion because we were somewhere that we never were before. And so we'd go to the food lion together. And I can remember as a kid that there was this, this big display of, of Cracker Jack boxes. And someone had taken one of the Cracker Jack boxes. They had them all stacked up on top of each other. And they had taken this one on the bottom and sort of pulled it out. And it was sticking out into the aisle. Everything was still there, but this one box was sticking out. And I noticed this as a young kid. And I called my dad over. I said, Dad, look at this. Someone pulled this box out so that it, someone might walk by and, and hit it. And my dad said, yeah, that's great. Now get away from there. <laughs> and so I said, okay. And, and somehow, knowing that it was there, knowing what would happen, I started to walk away. And you know what I did? <laughs> I bumped right into it. And, and the whole display of Cracker Jacks went all over the supermarket floor. And my dad and I ran down the aisle <laughs> and got out of there as quick as we could. <laughs> Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus is like that Cracker Jack box. Now, it's not worthless like Cracker Jacks and tastes terrible like Cracker Jacks, <laughs> but, but rather that it's, it's foundational. And that if we, if we pull the resurrection out, then in fact, a lot of stuff comes tumbling down all over the place. You can't get rid of the resurrection and then think that the Christian faith is going to still stand. Paul talks about two things here in verse 14. And if, in Christ, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. He says, if, if, we, if we pronounce the death of the resurrection, that there is no resurrection, then it also spells the death of the Christian message. Says that the, if the resurrection of Jesus is a fairy tale, then the preaching of the good news is is completely in vain. It's it's empty, is what that means. It's like those chocolate bunnies, right? Where you bite into it, and it's hollow on the inside. You think I thought I had a whole bunch of chocolate here, and you bite it, and there's nothing in the middle. Or it's like Peeps. What are those things? Does anyone even eat peeps? They're just blown up with air. There's, there's no substance to them. And he's saying that, that if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then the message of the gospel is, is just a bunch of hot air. Verse 15 kind of expands on this. If you look at verse 15, he says, We, speaking of himself and those that are proclaiming the gospel, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. He says, if, if there's no resurrection, then we are a bunch of false witnesses. We told you that Jesus rose from the dead. But if He didn't, then we lied about something that's at the core of this, this message. We, we lied to you guys. It, and, and if we lied about a thing that's of, of first importance, then how can you believe anything else that we say? You ever been lied to? Even just a little lie causes you to distrust someone, even just a little bit. Anyone ever lie to you in a big way? Man, it's hard to trust that person again. And Paul's saying, if we lied to you about the resurrection of Jesus, then how can you trust us about anything? 
Paul's going around preaching to people and he's saying, you need to believe who Jesus is, that he died and rose again. And by doing that, many of them were in fact facing persecution. Some people had probably been killed because of their faith in Jesus. And Paul's saying, if, if we made that up, or if it's not real, people are dying for this. And even today, people are facing death. Not only that, but he's given people hope. That their, their loved ones, the people that they know, if they put their faith in Christ, that one day they will be raised from the, again from the dead and, and you will see that person again. Can you imagine if, if Paul's lying about that? Why would you ever believe anything else that he said? Everything comes crumbling down if the resurrection isn't true. But it, it's, not, it's not just Paul. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then I'm a joke standing up here. This whole church is a joke. If we kill the resurrection of Jesus, then we kill the entire Christian message. But there's no reason for us to be here. Yet, breakfast was good, but we should have all left after breakfast if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. There's no point in us sitting here, and there's no point in you standing, sitting there listening to me talk about this if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But it's not just the, the Christian message. Just really see what all falls apart because real people have believed in that message. So if you deny the resurrection of Jesus, we also not only pronounce the death of the Christian message, but it's, it's the death of the faith of all Christians. Anyone who believes this, their, their faith is in vain, Paul says, verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. It's empty. Your faith is a hollow Easter bunny. Your, your faith is peep-like. <laughs> and Paul drives this point home in, in verses 18. Um, I'm sorry, verses 16 through 18. He says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. So that's a restatement of what he said earlier. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. You can't have one without the other. And then verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He talks about three things that we lose. That if Jesus has been risen from the dead, then number one, your faith is futile. It's, it's empty. It's a waste of time. There's no reason to believe any of this. And if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, we are still in our sins. I think about that in two ways. Number one, we're still condemned by our sins. Our sins have not been paid for. Because if Jesus died on the cross, the resurrection is in a sense God's stamp of approval to say, I approve of Jesus and, and his, his death pays the penalty for your sins. If he's not raised from the dead, you're still in your sins. Not, not only in that sense that we're still condemned by our sins, but sin still has power over us in our life. There's no way apart from the resurrection power of Jesus that we can live a life that is free from sin in any way. So your faith is useless. We're still dead in our sins. And those who have died trusting in Jesus, they're completely ruined. He talks about them as those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died in Christ have perished. That's it. So if you have a loved one and they believe that by faith in Christ, they would be raised up on the last day. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then neither will they. And there is no hope of life after death. So verse 19 is Paul's conclusion. If in Christ we have no hope, we, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Nobody wants to be pitied, right? I mean, nobody wants someone to pity them. 
Paul says, if we call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, and we have hope in this life only, then we should be pitied by all people because we are totally deluded. Maybe you deny the, the resurrection of the dead. You, you don't believe that. You don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You don't think anyone else is going to. And if that's true, then you're way better off than me. Because I've staked my life on this thing. Many of you too have, have done that. We, I've put my hope in the resurrection. I've, I've put my whole life into this thing and said, I believe that Jesus died and rose again and I'm willing to give my entire life to that. And if that's not true, then you should pity me. If that's a lie that I'm staking my life on, I'm, I'm doubly in trouble because I'm standing up here telling everyone else about it. You should pity me as, as Paul was pitied. So I'm standing here as a liar, believing a lie. You should pity me. So what Paul is doing here, watch this, is he's taking the Cracker Jack box of the resurrection and pulling it out and watching the mess all over the floor. And say, this is what happens. If you want to deny the resurrection, that's fine. But here's everything that you lose. But look at the wonderful turning point of verse 20. Paul writes in verse 20, But, in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. There you go. The display has not fallen. It's, it's, it's all intact. Why? Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Now, here's what I, I think is amazing. Paul doesn't support this at all. He just says Jesus rose from the dead. Now, he's given some evidence earlier on. Remember that he, he talked about... Um, um, some witnesses in verses 6 through 8, these, these people that had, had seen uh, Jesus. And, and the idea was that, that these guys were still alive. If you don't believe it, go talk to them. They're, they're there. You can, you can go find them, seek them out. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then you can go find these guys, and, and, and they'll tell you that it was true. They'll tell you how they saw him. Now, we don't have those guys, but, but we do. That, that, that this is the record. This is the record of those witnesses. You know, the guys who wrote the Bible didn't write it so that we would think it was a bunch of fairy tales. They wrote it so we would believe it. When Matthew and Mark and Luke and John wrote the accounts about Jesus, they weren't, they weren't writing a fairy tale. They were writing truth. And so if we deny it, that's why they wrote it. The, the account of Acts, of the, of the early church, they said, we're going to write this down because it, it really did happen. And Paul writes in his letters, he says, this truly happened. And, it, and if you don't believe it, then, then we're calling these guys liars. But, but, but there's so much evidence that, that this is true. Have you, have you ever studied this? Have you ever looked at these, these accounts? And we're going through the book of Luke as a church. And it's, it's amazing every week to see what Jesus is going to do or say next. And, and it has this ring of truth. It's so true. There's, there's no way you can deny that these guys really believe what they were saying. And, and so, man, I would challenge you. Come, come with us on Sundays. Let's, we're going to walk. We're, we're only in chapter 11, so you haven't missed. We've got a lot of chapters left. Come on in and let's, let's look at it. Or maybe, you know, I've got, I've got a bunch of these. You're, you're welcome to take this. This is actually the, just the book of Luke in a nice, readable way. You're welcome to have it. I challenge you. Read this. You know, and coming up, we're going to do this Bible study on the book of Mark called, called Christianity Explored, where we're just going to read the book of Mark, and who is Jesus? Make sure I, I know who you are and that you're here, and i got somebody to get a hold of you, because we want you to come. And if, if you've never read Mark or Matthew or, or Luke, I challenge you to do it and, and see if you really can understand who Jesus is. 
And there's so much evidence for the resurrection. We could talk about all of it. We could talk about the empty tomb and the, the renewed courage of the disciples. We could talk about the response of the Jewish authorities. We could talk about the spread of the gospel. But, but really, I think, I think that the greatest evidence of the resurrection is not found in the circumstances that surround Jesus' exit from the tomb, but rather his entrance into the world. If Jesus truly is God's Son, God in the flesh, God as a human being, then doesn't it make total sense that he rises from the dead? If we really believe that, that Jesus was God, then of course he rose from the dead. The, the amazing thing is that he died. That, that God died and, and that he stayed in the grave for a full three days. That's amazing. But that he rose from the dead is something that I can believe no problem if Jesus is God because it, God can do whatever he wants. And so Paul now tells us that the truth of the resurrection, he continues on this, it's a matter of life and death. It's still a matter of life and death. It means new and eternal life in Christ. We could go back to verses 17 and 18 and say, all these things that weren't true because if Christ didn't rise from the dead are now true. So our faith is not in vain. It's not empty to believe in Jesus. And we are not still in our sins. And those who have died in Christ will be seen again, that they will rise up in the end. That's the big point, I think, that Paul's hammering home here. Look at, look at verses 20 through 24. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, speaking of Adam, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Paul says that Jesus is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Not those who are dead, but those who have fallen asleep because they will one day rise. Here's, here's a deep reality that, that he's talking about here. Adam, the first man, has brought death into the world. And because of Adam's sin, all die. The death sentence is put on us. This is the plight of every person, including you and including me. Because of the sin we get from Adam, and because of the sin we ourselves commit, we are all dead. We are spiritually dead. We are unable to please God. And we face physical death. We all will die. If we do not deal with our sin, then we remain under the curse of death. But Adam is not the end of the story. Romans 5 talks about Jesus and and says that Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam failed. But Jesus comes as the second Adam and does everything that that the first Adam could not do. Let me read to you. You don't have to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 2, this is what Paul writes later on. He says, And you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says, this is what you guys were like. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no hope. Then in verse 4, But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead, when you were dead, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus comes so that we can put our faith in Him. And those who put their faith in Christ, you are not to be pitied. Because God has sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus lived a perfect life. Can you imagine this? Never sinned once. Unlike all of us, He never sinned. And so when He dies, He doesn't die for His own sin. He dies for your sin. He dies for my sin. He becomes the substitute. He takes the penalty of uh, due to our sin upon Himself. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And then He rises again and He gives us new life. Life now and eternal life in the kingdom that is to come. And it's through faith in Jesus that this becomes a reality. And then Paul talks about the future that we have to look forward to. Paul talks about an order. You notice that? It's there in, um, in verse 23. But each in his own order. Something's going to there's, there's an order to things. If you, maybe you made something for the breakfast this morning and you, and you got a recipe. You got to follow the recipe. There's an order to the recipe of things you got to do. Now, if you didn't know that, that's why your cooking is terrible. So if you have a recipe, you do number one first, okay? And then you do number two. and So you've got to do it in order or it doesn't turn out right, okay? And so this is kind of the, the recipe for, for the, the, the end of all things. There's a certain order that things are going to happen. And the first thing that has to happen, there's a first thing that's got to happen, the resurrection of Jesus. If the resurrection of Jesus doesn't happen, then, then the souffle or the breakfast, whatever it is, just totally falls flat. It's not going to work. Everything's, but if Jesus rose from the dead, then that domino goes and everything else is coming. But if He doesn't, it doesn't happen. But He has. And so it begins with the resurrection of Jesus. That sets everything else in motion. He said twice here to be the first fruits. It's kind of a strange thing. The, the first fruits. He's the first to rise from, from the dead. And His resurrection is a promise of more to come. So if you pick an apple off a tree, if you harvest apples, that first apple that you pull off, man, that's a special apple. But it's just the promise of more to come. And so Jesus is the first fruits, and He's the first to rise from that. And it just says, there's more coming. There's more coming. So Jesus comes first, and then it says, um, verse 23, each in His own order, Christ the first fruits. Then, at His coming... Those who belong to Christ. So what's going to happen next? What well, hasn't happened yet. The resurrection of Jesus has happened, but there's, there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return. And when He returns, all the dead will resurrect. And when He has died, will we'll, we'll, we'll come back to life. And those who have died through faith in, with faith in Christ will rise up to eternal life with Jesus. <coughs> But, but you notice this, that it's not just about us rising. It's not just about life. Remember, it's a matter of life and death. There's death in this, but it's not death for the children of God. Look at verse 24 again. Then comes the end, when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after something. After what? 
after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Now verses 27 and 28 are a little hairy there. <laughs> it's a little rough, but, but focus with me on, on, on verse uh, 24. So the end's going to come. The kingdom is going to be delivered to the Father, but first there's going to be death. The death of something. It's going to be the destruction of of Satan and all who exalt themselves above God. They will be cast into the lake of fire. Whereas if Christ is not raised, then we are ruined. We are destroyed. If he is raised, then all the enemies of God are ruined and destroyed. And the great enemy, death, will also be destroyed. I love how it says he's going to destroy every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death will die. The threat of eternal death will die and the threat of physical death will die. And then finally the end is going to come. So once all the enemies are under Jesus' feet and death is destroyed, then the kingdom of God will come. And there's this picture of Jesus, in a sense, handing the kingdom to his Father. That everything is put in subjection under Christ, except for the Father. And so they reign over all things. And in some mysterious way, everything is subjected under the Father. And then what happens is the glory of God is seen in all things for all time. This is the reason God made the world. God did not make the world for you. God made the world for Himself and for His own glory. The earth is going to be redeemed and we and all of God's creation will exist for all eternity, fulfilling the purpose for which God originally made the world. He made it for His own glory. All rebellion is going to be squashed and God is going to reign as the rightful King of the universe and we will reign with Him as His joint heirs, blood-bought sons and daughters of God, raised to new life through the resurrected Jesus. But if Jesus is not raised, if, if Easter doesn't happen, then none of this happens. None of it is possible. It has to happen. Jesus has to rise from the dead. Or the end will not come. No one will be raised. The kingdom will not be delivered to the Father. And God will not receive glory in all creation for all time. But, He has raised. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. If you don't know these things in a saving sense, if you've not put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, then... On this beautiful day, can I be brutally honest with you? You are of all people most to be pitied. Because He has raised. Now, if He hasn't, then you should pity me. But if He has, and you haven't put your faith in Him, then you are of all people most to be pitied. But but now is the day of salvation. That that next event hasn't happened. He he, he came he, and He rose, He died and He rose from the dead. The next thing that's coming is He's, 
He's returning and the dead in Christ are going to rise up. This hasn't happened yet. And so now, now is the day of salvation. And I would plead with you to be made right with God. Be be raised up with Him. Come to know the, the new life that He offers. He will raise you up and you will not face eternal death. He will kill death for you. He has done it on His cross and He has done it through His resurrection. And on that last day, He will not cast you away, but He will invite you into the kingdom to join with Him. Put your faith in Jesus alone for salvation. But if you have done this, fellow Christian, let me just, let me just remind you of the, the beauty of what Christ has done. That, that this is what He has accomplished for us. That we do not face death. Eternal death and physical death means absolutely nothing to us. If we die, we go to be with Christ. So let us remember and rejoice in what Christ has done. And, and let's, let's proclaim it to, to everyone. Because people are walking around in death. They are, they are dead and, and eternal life is offered to them through Jesus' death and resurrection. There's this, there's this sure and solid hope in Christ. Not, not just for this life, but for the one to come. And for all those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, this is reality. That those who have put their faith in Christ, they will raise up in the end. Brothers and sisters, friends, Easter is a matter of life and death. And for the Christian, it means life everlasting and the death of death itself. Hallelujah, He is risen. Let's try that again. I caught you off guard. He is risen. He is risen indeed.